0: Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. I'm excited to announce our upcoming schedule of Planet Microcap Showcases, our investor conferences showcasing the microcap community. We will be hosting the Planet Microcap Showcase virtual on December 6th through 8, 2022, and we'll be back in Las Vegas for our in-person event on April 25th, 27, 2023. Attendance for both events are complimentary for investors, so expect to interact with MicroCap management teams, see insightful keynotes and panels, plus network with your fellow MicroCap crew. Registration is now open for our virtual events, so to join us, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Now, for this episode of the Planet MicroCap podcast, I spoke with Aaron Adelheid, author of The Hard Break, The Case for the 24 6 Lifestyle, and CEO of Mindset Capital. While most of the microcap space has had a rough year in 2022, I'd argue that the two sectors that have particularly had it rough are mining and psychedelics, which we actually talked about in episode 239 with Fadi Diab. Probably the sector, however, that has received not only the least amount of love, so to speak, it's being completely forgotten about and not even mentioned at all, and that's cannabis. I've heard Aaron on multiple podcasts talking about the opportunities in cannabis, and rather than doing another cannabis investing 101 pod, we wanted to talk about why capital has dried up for the cannabis industry for now, why brokerage houses have made it extremely difficult to buy cannabis stocks, and most importantly, the headwinds that have caused this quote-unquote cannabis winter. Don't worry, cannabis enthusiasts, we do also cover what catalysts could result in a rebound for the cannabis industry. So thank you again for tuning in to episode 240 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Aaron Adelheid. streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is Aaron Edelheid. He's the author of The Hard Break, The Case for the 24-6 Lifestyle, as well as CEO of Mindset Capital. You've heard him on a number of podcasts recently. I-, I listened to those as well. And I had to have him on because, you know what, at his core, at his core, he's a microcap guy like me, like us all of us. That's here. right. So, Aaron, with that man, welcome aboard. How are you doing? Welcome aboard. I'm doing
1: great. Thank you for having me. It's
0: great to have you on. So, you know, to start us off, I I you know, in I haven't read the book yet. I actually just ordered it because I, you know, I okay. listen because I listened to the interview that I think it was with Bill and then also with Andrew Walker where you're talking about the 24/6 lifestyle and basically making the case for uh, that everybody should embrace Shabbat as a fellow member of the tribe. I try and do that as much as possible. So, you know, for those that aren't familiar with the book and your thesis there, I'd love to go through that a little bit because that that hits home for me very much.
1: Yeah. So the whole idea is that we're not meant to work uh, every single moment. And with technology, we're not supposed to be on call to every single person we've ever met personally or professionally. And it's... It's it's not it's really bad for us on a number of levels, and like people are grappling, like, hey, what happened in the last ten or fifteen years? Why people are angrier, more depressed, more mental issues, etc. And there's a pretty obvious one, which is smartphones um, and the ubiquity of them. And there's a whole bunch of research that shows how bad uh, how we're conducting ourselves is for our mental health for our relationships for our happiness for our health um for our productivity for our business success and so it's something that i've been doing and i write in the book about how i really out of desperation started um embracing the sabbath or you know for jewish people shabbat and and that's that um I'm a workaholic and I I, I identify that with me and uh, I have to kind of fight against my own worst instincts. And so what I've been doing for the past, it's gotta be like 16 years now is every Friday night I turn my phone and my computer off and I don't turn it back on until Saturday night. And uh, what I believe is that it's saved me in multiple ways. It's saved my marriage. It's uh, made me more successful in business it's made me happier and healthier have better relationships and especially in a year like this where for micro cap and small cap and especially cannabis investors it's really hard it's really hard to to like turn off and just to remind yourself that you are not your job and that like i'm Aaron, i'm not ceo of mindset capital i'm not this or that and it's in good times it's helpful to humble yourself to remind you that you're just a person and in bad times it's to remind you that you're not this, you know, terrible investor, you know, to remind you of all your mistakes and so every week i get a vacation and i become i i refresh and renew myself and, I, and then i have ideas and creativity and the book is all about that it's the business case and it shows it from a number of different perspectives and examples from Jews to Mormons, Seventh Day Adventists to atheists who practice uh, the Sabbath in some way, shape, or form, and why? Why it's so important? I
0: I, I can't.
1: I, by the way, I can't imagine going back. So I see people who have their phones on every day, every waking minute, and it seems like insanity to me.
0: You know, I, I haven't gone that <laughs> far to just turn off my phone for. But I I think I might give that a shot because that that sounds really nice. I mean I right now to be honest, you know, with everything going on, microcaps. I think most of us just want to turn off our phones for like at least a few yeah, weeks, no, that's a few exactly weeks at right. a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds, exactly that sounds that right. that sounds real nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's all right, that's all right. But, but you know, one one uh, follow up on that, I have to ask. You know, on the personal note, I mean, when you do check out more or less, right, from on that on Friday night to Saturday night. What's your go-to? I mean, we're in California, so is it going to the beach? Is it what? Yeah, no, like lately. Where do you you get your creative inspiration?
1: Um, let's see. I I love like hiking. Um, you know, but I'm the father of three small children, so I like really just enjoy that there's no distraction, and that my kids know that I'm just there, and so whatever they're doing, I just I'm with them. And, uh, I, I really love that. And so it's really, doesn't matter. It could just be just watching one of the cartoon movies with them or, uh, you know, playing baseball, my two boys, which is a thrill to me of become obsessed with baseball. And so it's just really awesome. great not having a phone buzzing, binging, ringing, etc. cetera. And I'm just, you know, playing catch or throwing the ball with my, uh, with my sons or are going to the beach and just being there and And not feeling the urgent need that I need to check something.
0: A hundred percent. You know what? I got to give you a lot of credit because, you know, especially with, you know, running a fund and having the newsletter, you know, you were smart to put out a book about this because now people will know like, okay, I won't bother Aaron on Friday night. Yeah, no. And it's like, they just know Sunday, Monday. Okay, fine.
1: Yeah, no, the reality is, is that like, I was did this when I ran my real estate firm, and we owned 2500 single family rentals, and had over 100 employees. And the reality is, is not much happens on, on Saturday, really not much happens. And if there is an emergency, you can uh, have other people back you up. So that they can take a break on Sunday or other days and go away. And there's ways to do things so that, you know, um, you know, just in case I get separated, you know, I'm separated from my wife or we go in two different directions. I have a flip phone that only she has the phone number to. So like the argument of like, oh, what happens if there's an emergency? Well, I got a flip phone. Yeah. Let me tell you, I'm not texting from that thing. <laughs> I'm not receiving emails and it's like $15 a month. And it I, it's like my bat phone. It's amazing.
0: It's like, like for Montourage, you know, you're like, Ari you go. It's, like, it's, it's the bat phone, baby. Like, what do you, what do you yeah, want? Yeah. I got, I got, I got to answer when somebody calls me at 1130 on a Wednesday.
1: you know. I'm yeah. Like, but sorry. the thing is, is that Wednesday. like I, only my wife has the phone number. <laughs> Fair enough. Very cool, man.
0: Well, I, listen, I can't wait to read the book and learn about it a little bit because it's a simple concept. And it's something that I even myself, even though I don't turn off the phone, I try and do, but I highly recommend like I I hope everybody is, you know, out there doing something just at a minimum for their mental health, you know, to whether it's like Caitlin Cook says, get outside or just, you know, taking that day off or taking that night off, taking a couple hours. So that's I'm convinced it'll make
1: you more successful. It'll make you happier, more successful. I literally get a vacation every week. This is not like broccoli you know, that you were forced to eat. And it's like, once you start doing it, it's amazing.
0: A hundred percent,
1: couldn't agree more.
0: And also you, I mean, at least for us, I usually get a, it's usually an awesome meal Friday night. That's for sure. We yeah, usually,
1: that's right. You know,
0: we usually get a little spicy fish, you know, a little, yeah. you know, you know get the, yeah. we get the good stuff. But anyways, so on the, getting back to the investing side, you know, to, to set the stage a little bit, you know, for those that haven't heard any of your interviews that you've done previously or read the book, Give us a little bit about your background, you know, what led to Mindset Capital, you know, and also your focus specifically, I mean, you focus on all microcasts, but lately it's been definitely cannabis. So, you know, give us yeah. the full picture and then we'll dive deep.
1: Yeah. So I've always been interested, and I'm gonna date myself. I remember my dad, I was like nine or ten, I don't remember the exact age, had the newspaper open with the stock tables. And uh, I asked him what it was. And he explained it to me, and I became fascinated. And ever since then you know, stocks are, and investments are all that I've been interested in. I had an opportunity two years out of college where I could uh, uh, invest one friend's money who had started a business and sold it. I moved above my parents' garage in um, 1998 and started managing his money. After a couple of years, had four or five clients, merged them together, started the first fund that I had called the Saver Value Fund. And, Ran that for like 12 years um, as a side project in 2008. And what I focused on was small caps. I love uh, what I love about investing is kind of the detective work and uncovering things that people don't know about, finding opportunities that people aren't paying attention to. That's just what I'm drawn to. And so that led me to small caps, spin-offs, restructurings, turnarounds, uh, things like that. And uh, um, in 2008, that also led when a friend asked, "Hey, would you buy a foreclosed home with me?" I never bought a home before 2008, and I uh, and I said, "Sure, I'll partner with you." And then after four homes, we bought a three-bedroom, two-bath home in Charlotte, North Carolina, for seventy-five thousand dollars. Put ten thousand into it, and then rented it for a thousand a month. And I looked at it, I was like, "That's pretty good." And and I, I, thought you can't build a home, you know. And I looked where it was, and kind of did my research. You definitely can't build a home for seventy five thousand dollars. And I that that then drove me to then launch a very small side project uh, where I bought sixteen homes in investment partnership in two thousand nine, in March of two thousand nine. And then uh, I just thought that was just going to be an interesting side project until two thousand eleven. I'd grown it to two hundred fifty. And I looked at my opportunity said and I said, I have a twenty five million dollar small cap fund where I'm competing against the best and the brightest on Wall Street, or I could be on the courthouse steps in Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia, competing against no one. And so I uh, I wound down my um my small cap fund in two thousand and eleven and just went full bore on housing and grew that you know from two hundred fifty homes to twenty five hundred. And in 2015, we sold the company to a a, a REIT, a publicly traded REIT, which then eventually itself got bought out. Um and uh and then from there I joined a French startup and helped him run it and it was sold, and and then I wrote the book. And in, when COVID hit, I just saw another opportunity and kind of really missed my first true love, which is researching stocks and investing. And I started uh, mindset capital, a uh, really mindset value fund um, as a friends and family vehicle. And then at the end of last year, I started a dedicated cannabis fund. So I now run like two funds. Um, but there is some overlap between them. but um, And so what I'm mainly drawn to is what I like to ask myself is, what is my advantage or what is my edge? And that pushes me to the types of investments where there's some kind of barrier, or something's hidden, or people don't see uh, uh, what's inside the company, or they're, um, they're they don't see the transformation happening, or they're restricted, or there's some kind of where where I believe I have an edge, and so that's led me in the past to you know small caps and micro caps. It's led me to single family homes. Uh, you know, when there were no institutions, and today it leads me to cannabis. uh, Because of the federal illegal status, I think you have 98 or 99% of the investment dollars uh, are restricted or prohibited from investing in this sector that I think has a very bright future.
0: Absolutely. All right. And thank you for that full background. So now we can dive deep a little bit. Like I said, in in those other interviews you've also, you know, they were, you know, you've done kind of the intro into cannabis, where we're at, that kind of thing. You know, but I, like you, I've been covering the space and doing interviews with microcap cannabis management teams for
1: like 11 years now. <laughs> so, I've
0: seen I've seen the the roller coaster.
1: Roller coaster. That's exactly right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not just the roller coaster amongst like dedicated cannabis names, but then also mining companies that became cannabis, that became uh crypto, and now are kind of second, oh psychedelics. You know, it's it, you know, we have a good time here micro microcats. This is what we do, uh, you know. Like yeah
1: uh, it is
0: it was what it is. Um but speaking to right now, you know, you mentioned that you know you feel that right now you you see like like all your other um endeavors you're looking for that edge you clearly see that edge with cannabis right now you know again let's get a little bit of a more of a picture i know i just said i wasn't gonna do this but let's get more of a picture as to why why you feel that you have that edge in investing in cannabis and you dive into this actually a little bit in your recent letter when you talk about how institutions really just can't participate for the most part in these yeah. cannabis states. Is that really where you're saying that your edges is because yeah. you are yeah. on the more retail side? Okay. So let's dive deep. Yeah. That yeah.
1: So, so the whole thing is um, right now, uh, there are States that have legalized cannabis, both medicinal and legal. Um and, but on a federal basis, it's, Ill- it's federally illegal. Cannabis is classified as a schedule one uh, drug makes it under the Controlled Substances Act, which makes it illegal. Um, And so you have this quasi legal status. And because it's federally illegal, the uh, cannabis, U.S. cannabis companies that touch the plant have no access to the federal banking system, and almost all institutional investors cannot invest And U.S. cannabis companies don't trade on any major U.S. exchange. Um, and so, uh, what that makes it is, is that you have these companies that are very illiquid. They trade over the counter or on secondary or tertiary Canadian exchanges, and that makes them very, very illiquid. And also makes their cost of capital like much, much higher than the average firm. And in a time like this, when capital is coming out of the system because of the federal reserve, inflation, Ukraine, you name it. Um, this is like a more extreme version of like what's going on to the average small or micro cap. Because when the tide goes out in cannabis, there's even fewer funding sources. And so what I see at this particular moment, uh, what is so fascinating is there's no capital in cannabis. And we can dive into you know some of the details of that. Um, there's no capital in cannabis. And so, because there's no capital, you have uh, opportunities to both invest uh, in existing companies or potentially uh, invest in opportunities where the returns are potentially amazing. Um, and what's fascinating, and and I should give this as a uh, a qualification is. I thought when I was launching my fund at the end of last year that I was getting amazing timing. Cannabis was down 50% from where I invested, and it's down another 50% from there. And in my analysis, what I got wrong is I thought at the beginning of the year, I was talking to all these other money managers who were doing research, there was a new fund opening up for cannabis. There was the prospect of a lot of um, there are a lot of signs of federal reform that would make it uh, more legal or uh, open the banking system. And what happened instead is the opposite has happened. Uh, you've had at least three funds or portfolios go out of business or shut down. You've had Vanguard has restricted cannabis. You can't buy if you're a Vanguard customer, uh, you have Charles Schwab calling customers and telling them not to send money to any cannabis. Um, you just have, what's happened is more and more, there's been, there's now less capital in cannabis than there was at the beginning of the year. And the barriers are greater. And, um, you know, while you still have signs that there might be federal reform, like as the Safe Banking Act and other things, um, they, our federal politicians continue to play political football um, with it, which has driven lots of investors. And so you have capital leaving, no capital entering, and it just makes things brutal. Um, and so my, you know, when I look back and say, oh, my God, like, what did I get? wrong from the beginning of the year is I just didn't realize uh, I was wrong on where the capital flows were going uh, to become. And then you add in inflationary pressures, you add a slowdown in consumer, and you have a little more disappointing results just to add salt on the wounds um, with capital costs going through the roof. Like debt costs, ec- cost of equity, capital, because there's no capital. I've never
0: seen Canada. Like, you know, we joked about how we've seen a couple of roller coasters. Remember, uh, people are probably sick of me saying this because I've said this a couple times. But like back in 2014, when you had the crate, it was just the hottest thing since sliced bread. And then pff, went right back down. I think in 2018 time frame, there was another one. Um, but I- I've never seen the hate like I've seen now. Like it is when we talk about how there's literally no capital flowing into I mean, it is literally, they're looking at psychedelics more so than they're looking at cannabis, which is, which is fascinating in its own right.
1: Yeah, Uh, no. And I think that whenever things are near a bottom or when you have a real brutal bear market in an industry is what you see. And you see this on Twitter. I mean, I, I think that what, Twitter has, is good at is telling you what people think right now and what has happened in the near uh, past and what they think are, is going to happen in the near future, but not really much on what is going to happen in the longer term.
0: You know what's interesting? I So, uh, you know, I've interviewed a, a- quite a few folks that I respect in the industry, you know, Alan Brockstein, Emily Paxia, Emily and, and Morgan actually just wrote a great article in the mag in our in our magazine talking about what's going on in cannabis. And I remember thinking back to an, like while we're talking, I was thinking back to an interview I did with Alan when he brought up a really interesting point. this I think was back in 2020, maybe it was early 2021, where he, you know, we were talking about federal legality, where we're at with all that. And he had a theory where he goes, you know, I don't think that there is any pressure to get it, to make it federally legal. Why? Where's, where, what do they, they don't have any, like, what's the incentive for them to make it federally legal right now? Right. And so, yeah. And 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 that was a
1: prescient uh, insight.
0: Yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts there. I mean, like, do you, do you feel that like what, what's the incentives for why and why not at this
1: point? Well, at this point, there's a couple of issues that make it actually very pressing. Um, and that is is when you force businesses to deal only in cash uh, and everyone knows that these businesses are mainly cash, uh, that invites crime. And so you've had a significant rise in uh, crime at cannabis dispensaries and people being murdered. Um, both employees and customers um, and uh, the second thing is is that uh, if you're on the Democrat side and you're trying to help small business, what's called social equity or minority business owners if the large companies can't have access to capital, what chance do these smaller companies have? They have Zero chance. And, um, at best, they have to take out you, uh, just ridiculous economics where someone else will take advantage of them, or they're basically set up for failure. Um, and so I think those two things are now have really changed the calculus, uh, in the past year. Um, and that's why I think you're starting to see a shift in tone. Uh, From people like Senator Booker and Senator Schumer and others saying, oh, well, maybe we do need, um, uh, you know, a safe banking or, you know, a a harbor so that cannabis companies can access uh, the broader investor investment community. Absolutely.
0: So, you know, going back to why it's so difficult to raise capital, you know, you talked about this in a recent letter when you were talking about uh, the the recent raise that one of your portfolio companies, Glasshouse Brands, did. You know, why, using that as an example, why is it so difficult right now to raise capital for anything cannabis related?
1: Well, one, there's no federal banking, no federal bank, investment bank. I changed the name of my fund. I used to have, I, I was just naive, to be honest. It used to be called the Mindset Value Cannabis Fund. I changed it to the Mindset Value Wellness Fund because so many investors were being blocked from sending money to my fund from every bank you can imagine Wow! and where compliance departments, I can't tell you how many investment professionals in Wall Street would love to invest but can't because their compliance departments uh, won't let them. I can't tell you the hurdles that have come up. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, if I can't, if I'm struggling to get, uh, you know, capital into my fund, you know, other companies are even more so. And then what happened is as interest rates have gone up, the cannabis used in 2020 and 2021, there was, uh. Uh, debt capital pouring into the industry and debt costs went down from like they had started at 12 they went to as low as like seven seven and a half eight they're back at 12 or 13 and that's if you're one of the largest companies yeah for everyone else you're 18 20 or more percent uh, I'll just give you some recent examples. There's a private company I led, um, a kind of restructuring of their debt that got into trouble, uh, just a little bit of trouble. They had $700,000 they needed to fill, a successful company, $7 million in sales. And the only interest the only debt that they could come up with was debt uh, that was charging them 36% in interest. Um, and so we led that, we cut their interest rate in half. and you know, warrants and it was a successful. And these, I think it's set up for success, this company. There's another one in California Lowell Farms. I think they just raised $4 million and had to dilute their company by like 20%. If if I did the math right. Um, and so it's just these signs that there's no capital. There's literally no, cap- there's none. Um, and very little capital because the squeeze is being put on uh, the industry from all of these forces and no capitals coming in. And so it's uh, it's contributing with the rise in the debt costs. It's contributing to a lot of pressure on the stocks. And so if you do get something like safe banking, which is like, hey, if you're a bank or investor and you uh, are going to invest or let you know lend money to a cannabis company, you won't have financial penalties or we won't go after you for jail. Like that's gonna open up the entire financial system. Plus I believe corporate investors as well to feel free to enter the industry. It would be very, very different, uh, especially all the investment banks suddenly being able to participate and potentially the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. But right now you're just seeing this incredible squeeze on uh every single company in the cannabis space and it's driving equity and debt costs like skyward
0: i mean what like so when you think about you know i think back to past times you know when when i think about what what really went wrong during those times you know easy explanation you could always say mismanagement sure easy you know um obviously legalities where everything is with that sure But this time around, I mean, you know, this industry is starting to mature a little bit. Like we're getting people now when they say on their resumes, they've, uh, you know, been a visionary person in the industry. They can say they've almost been in it for eight, 10 plus years, which, okay, that's that's actually now true. You know, when people used to say back in the day that they were, you know, in the industry forever, it was like, uh, okay, interesting. Um, But now it's, you know, it's, you know, okay. anyways, it's a bad joke, but. But but my my point in getting to this is like, you know, what, what, what in your opinion has really actually gone wrong at this point with cannabis?
1: Well, I I think a couple of things have gone wrong is uh, one, there is pricing pressure in uh, a lot of the cannabis companies have um, pursued limited license states. And that's where they're kind of benefiting from a scarcity in, in e- each state. It's kind of like its own country. And you're starting to see some pricing pressure as supply has come online. There's also been regulatory delays in several of these states, like New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, um, uh, and others where they built up cultivate and, 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 and supply ahead of uh, what was going to be an open new market and it's either taken a lot longer or there've been significant problems or delays and so it's caused downward pressure and then you have uh, a problem I, I don't think it helps anyone that the largest market in the world is California and it's been struggling under under uh, too much taxation uh, regulatory problems and not enough dispensaries actually and having vast cannabis dispensaries with a large illicit market. And California is actually addressing that. And they've eliminated their cultivation tax. They're starting to really approve new dispensaries and they're trying to, you know, change their regulatory process, but it still caused a lot of pain. Um, and then you add some inflationary pressures and recession and it's it's with much, much higher financing costs. And it's just created like a really tough bear market right now uh, that cannabis has been in where no capital is coming in and capital has, you know, trying to go out. And then that adds, you know, that has only contributed to the negative sentiment, um, you know, in the space. So I think in the short run, we have kind of the perfect environment for a kind of like a perfect storm. Um, of all these things hitting at the same time and but from the long-term perspective of the adoption of cannabis of states going legal of consumers uh preferring it over alcohol uh the numbers are very very clear um and, and this is where my my past experience is like very helpful is you know well, I started buying these foreclosed homes 2008-2009 if you had priced me uh on what those homes were worth in late 2011, 2012 based on market comps I might be down 60%. I might be down 70% on some of those homes. Um and but my thesis was you can't can't have you know growing populations and build 400,000 homes without a massive shortage of homes very shortly and everything we saw the last 5 years in housing is a direct result of underbuilding and i kind of think the same thing is going on in cannabis is that you're having mass adoption of cannabis you're seeing a lot of uh messiness and pain and a lot of weird regulations I, you know a couple of mental models that i think about it is like it's almost like uh um, you know, you're you're uh you're almost in investing in a develop, you know, third world country, you know, with changing regulations, an illicit market, and there's a lot of things, but you're just seeing tremendous growth. And so you see a lot of messiness. I kind of think of it as like spring training. Like the game hasn't even started for cannabis uh yet. We're not even in the the first inning, in in, in my view. And so you know, it's it's just an interesting time, uh, but I love it. I love when there's a lot of skepticism. I love when you can invest in companies at you know three, four, and five times uh, you know cash flow, or companies below liquidation value, or invest in companies that are going to pay you a twenty percent interest plus more, uh, you know, equity upside. Like, and that all of my competitors are restricted from investing all the smartest and best and brightest are for a variety of reasons cannot invest. That sounds like a great environment for me. With with a 10 or 20 year tailwind pushing forward of demand.
0: I was going to say like I mean you you seem to be in a unique position where you can you can afford to wait. You know, you have yes. that you you kind of listen, you've been very successful in your other businesses. You know, you yeah, now the new newsletter, you know, you're by all means doing well, you know. So it, yeah. I mean, do you do you feel that as that's part of also of your advantage? And you know, I'm not saying that as like a yeah, bad no, thing. no, no, I'm no, not no, saying that as a
1: bad thing or anything, but like that. I hope it's an advantage. <laughs> yeah. Uh what I what I what what I purposely built this fund is I'm not trying to like actively trade my okay. fund. Okay, that's, and I have recruited investors. I'm like, look, we could be down 20-40 percent in a month. I don't want any money that you need. And I want you to mentally tell yourself that this is like a minimum of a uh, five-year investment. And do you understand that this is really illiquid stuff and that it can move against fundamentals? And uh, I feel very lucky with the group of investors that I have. It's something I've learned as a professional money manager is you're really only as good as the investment capital that's behind you. Um, and there's, and, and so, so, so I, my view is long-term, my view is eventually the investment world will be able to invest, that this will be legal in some way, shape or form, and that this industry is going to be sliced and diced in a million ways, uh, where you'll have retail only plays, branded plays, wholesale providers, hybrid models, etc. cetera. And that the valuations will be very, very different than where they are now. And that, you know, in between, you could have probably a couple of medias.
0: Yeah. You know, I just thought it was kind of funny. is like once it is, because it will be legalized. Let's all be real. Like, we we know it's coming. When? Who knows? But I was just thinking it'd be kind of fun. Like, how many uplistings are you going to see? Like, as soon as it does become federally legal? Like, all these OTC companies are probably just chomping at the bit. Just like... Oh, just oh yeah, no. on Nasdaq. Want
1: to, <laughs> I want you to think about what will happen when you have a company like uh, Green Thumb or Verano that's gonna doing three or four hundred million of EBITDA, and suddenly they're on the New York Stock Exchange or Nasdaq, yeah. and then one day being in the Russell 2000, S and P 500. What happens when these companies that are lucky if they trade a million or two million dollars a day? And are some of the leading companies in this industry suddenly have access to the entire U.S. financial system? Yeah, I believe it'll be a game of price discovery. Interesting.
0: By the way, are you a shareholder in Green Thumb or Verona? Yes, I am. Okay, yes, I am. So that actually kind of hits on my next question because within cannabis, there's a lot of different verticals. You know, you got flower, you have retail, you you know, CBD. Um, you know what? What do you like? What what tends to be your focus, and also we were even talking offline about you know regionally, you know U.S. versus Canada. So love to hear what 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 you like. So to one, say. I am
1: I'm not interested in Canada. Canada by itself is smaller than California, and they none of the Canadian companies have shown me that they are any good at growing high quality cannabis. Uh, in fact, all they've really been successful at is inciner- incinerating billions of dollars. And because it's federally legal in Canada, they were able, and it's almost like a crime, list on U.S. exchanges and pretend that they had access to the entire U.S. market. And so I feel like there's kind of been like a trick or a, a little winking going on of like, hey, invest in us. But it anyway, it's just, and there's, you know, as at the end of last year, they were still having failed harvest. And earlier this year, admitting they were, they weren't producing enough high-quality cannabis. The leading companies, so I'm uh, I, I'm not interested in those companies. I am interested in the U.S. opportunity, and uh, the what I'm trying to do is invest in the overall ecosystem, and specifically look at can I invest with good management teams that have a clear strategy, um, and that are trying to take advantage, uh, trying to um, use advantages with their strategy to grow long-term with this industry and so i don't know exactly how things are going to play out um i have some ideas but i want to bet on the ecosystem specifically and who i think has the bet at least in this current version because as i said I. And this is the thing I want to be clear. I think this is like 10 or 20 years of cannabis. There's an initial trade, which is what happens when these companies list in the U.S. and are on in the S&P 500. That's one, but what about the next great brands? What about the, you know, the different versions of how this is going to play out? The different combinations. Uh, you know, tobacco cannabis companies um, that may come or alcohol infused cannabis. I mean, there's going to be a lot of different versions of this. Um, and so, but where I, where we sit today, most companies almost do everything because they're forced to. Um, and so you have a company like a Green Thumb or Verano, which I'm a shareholder in, um, they grow their cannabis they distribute the cannabis, they distribute other people's products, uh, they own their own retail stores, and they own and develop and market their own brands. And they have to do it in each different state, and they are what's called a multi-state operator, because every state, it's like its own country, with radically different rules. Um, and so there's that kind of model, and then there's uh, another model, which is like a single state operator, um, and the one, one of my largest positions is a company called Glasshouse, which just operates in California. Um, and I believe they will be a beneficiary of interstate commerce. So, what you need to understand is every state is like its own country. And because of the weird federal illegal status, the states have decided cannabis can't cross state lines. But based on my research, following Vanderbilt Law, Professor Robert Mykos, and others, I believe that that's unconstitutional, and that only Congress can regulate uh, interstate commerce. Um, that's not the state's job. And in fact, there was just a ruling last week from a Federal uh, Court of Appeals that said uh, cannabis, despite being on the Controlled Substances Act, is an interstate commerce market. And... Uh, The Dormic Commerce Clause applies. Um, They were talking about main licensing, uh, where you couldn't say someone from like California couldn't apply for a main license. But um, the very next step is interstate commerce. So right now, uh, a company like Glasshouse is competing at like $400, $500 cannabis pricing, where it's not a limited license state. Uh, So there's a lot more supply where you have it in Illinois and New Jersey selling for three to four thousand dollars a pound. Um, And so if you have a company that has lowest cost of goods sold and is competing in a much uh, more competitive environment as billing size and scale. It is my thesis that if interstate, if and when interstate commerce happens, that they're going to be at a wild advantage, and um, that the market isn't properly pricing that potential in. Um, But that doesn't stop me from also investing in multi state operators as well. I think you have to have kind of a balanced approach. But overriding in there is that each company kind of has its clear strategy, has good management that has shown that they can operate and excel.
0: Let's dig into that to into that a little bit more when, in talking about management because right now it seems like if you're going to place a bet in cannabis, you are yeah you're betting on the company, but you are probably ninety five percent betting on the jockey at this point, right in in the in the life. It's not
1: it's not just the jockey. I actually think that that's a mistake. I see comments on Twitter where it says I'm betting on the jockey. I'm betting on the CEO. Well, let me tell you, uh, you may have the best most charismatic person in the world. But if you don't have the talent in the cultivation and you're not paying top dollar for the best cultivators mm. uh, and okay. the best talent on operations, you can be the best CEO in the world. doesn't matter. And you're seeing certain companies struggle with exactly that. And that, that the, the talent and the problem is these companies have grown acquired digested all this stuff and they're the other thing that we're finding out this year is they're struggling in various parts of their operations where maybe they didn't have the right head of retail maybe they don't have the right cultivation team maybe they're not good at growing and i'm not going to name names because i'm not i don't want to denigrate anyone on on this uh podcast but there are some firms that are fantastic at retail terrible at growing there are other companies that are good at growing struggling at retail but you're kind of forced to do everything right now and it's really interesting to kind of see which companies and how they're they're trying to think about this and some companies being like oh gosh i hope i hope we're acquired and there's some companies like if you don't get safe baking by the end of the year there's going to be some. Bigger name cannabis companies that are in serious trouble, or that'll have to raise money at some pretty awful terms.
0: I mean, there's quite a few of that I can think of off the top of my head. Quite, especially bigger retailers that you know, just in the LA area, are huge. Um, yeah, won't name names, but yeah. um, but you know, on that point, you mentioned something about harvests being, you know, bad, is, is, specifically up in Canada, and then also bad cultivators. You know, what, why, why has there been some- bad- so, so this is
1: the thing is everyone says, oh, you know, can, can it's wheat, right? It grows like grows, wheat. You can grow yeah, it anywhere. Yeah, super yeah. easy. There's oversupply or whatever, or whatever. It's super easy to say things like that. But when you talk to people in the industry, people actually grow. Like, look, if you and I wanted to home grow. And we wanted to like grow a small, or even a small, well go? You know, thousand five thousand square feet we could figure it out we could do it you know it would take some time it would be hard but we could do it the problem is how do you grow high quality cannabis at scale Mm -hmm. consistently i've had some insiders tell me they think it's almost impossible because of how sensitive the plant is um because of the conditions because of the pests they're like you, you go into some of these cannabis operations and you talk to these companies. Do you know what a, a, a spotter is? They no have idea. people who go down and are specifically looking for pests and mold on the plant. And it can go like that. Where all of a sudden your crop is like you're screwed. And there are managers who manage the spotters. Like, like, So what you need to understand is like, this is not like, hey, I'm just gonna grow something outside. I'm gonna do it. If you think about how big these operations are, delivering a consistent experience to the customer, you need excellence at scale and to produce the kind of flower consistently is really hard. And so you need the best people with experience. It's a relatively new industry, is hard to do. And it's not like a lot of people who've been growing for twenty or thirty years suddenly know. Hey, I know how to grow at hundred thousand square feet because I've been growing out of five it, thousand. It, it's a different kind of skill set at scale. This is what I learned with real estate. I, my thought was like, oh, we're just going to hire people with tons of experience in multifamily. People who went, you know, to the best colleges. In the end, I had twenty-five and twenty-eight year olds who were running the company because they understood how to scale. They had, they were problem solvers. They were asking questions. So a lot of what, so one of my one of the things I know how somebody has done it at best surface level research or no research is when they say. Anyone can grow cannabis, and it can grow anywhere. And I just immediately know that you don't have experience in the industry, and you haven't talked to anyone who's really working at this scale. I got to tell you, this, and that's I why don't... I emph- that's why I emphasize it. And so, like, I own a company called MerriMed. Sure, I Bob, think they're Bob, yeah. they're yeah. So I think that they are one of the at least in Massachusetts. I know their nature's heritage. Even though Massachusetts pricing has come down they're selling their nature's heritage flower at $3,800 a pound when the rest of the market's at $2,000. They're doing something right there, right? They're doing something high quality, you know, that is uh, resonating with consumers, that is allowing them to achieve a much higher price point. And so it's fascinating for me to see those kind of um cultivators. And, and, and the other thing to know is to understand about cannabis is why is cannabis primarily grown indoors? What other agriculture product is primarily grown indoors? You have to ask yourself, why is that? And so that's the interesting thing for me. And, and, um, that's why it's not necessarily easy right now. Now, when you have interstate commerce, and what's gonna be super fascinating is when you get into interstate commerce and anyone can source high quality cannabis and you don't have to go, like in Florida right now, if I wanted to open a dispensary, I had a license in Florida, wanted to open a dispensary, I can't buy other people's cannabis. There's no wholesale market. It's forced vertical, uh, first uh, forced verticalization. So that means for me to open one dispensary I have to open my cultivation, and then my manufacturing for all edibles and bait, et cetera. And, and I have to do all that. It's probably like a 20 or $25 million investment to open a dispensary. And so you can imagine that in the future, you might have the best you know, cultivators. Primarily, my guess would be on the West Coast because the weather's amazing. And so if you can control for the weather, you don't have to have it indoors, just cheaper. This is my bet on Glasshouse. And that people can start sourcing consistent supply. You'll have more national kind of brands. Uh, You'll have more focused on people who are either focused on uh, consumables, brands, et cetera, where they won't have to make this cultivation investment. It'll be fascinating down the road, but that's not the the world we live in right now.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? I gotta be honest, that's been the one question I ha- I wish I, I had been asking because you know, I even despite covering the space, talking about the cultivators, MSOs, the CBD, the picks and shovels, the real estate plays, all that stuff. The one question question that well, honestly, this hadn't really even come up in a lot of the conversations that I had. Well, I mean, you know, not all management teams want to go on a public CEO interview and say that uh, they had a shit harvest, right? Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> you you no, know, no, you don't. You don't right. want to say that, but you can see it in the numbers, right? You can see when they start talking about, um, you know, when when you have significant price declines. Yeah. You know, you're you're so, something is wrong. Where especially in the more mature markets, you know, you're getting hit.
0: Yeah. Hey, I have to also ask you, you know, I mean, you say you kind of invest in the whole ecosystem, but do you also look at, you know, the picks and shovel plays, real estate plays? I have. The problem
1: is is, uh, I haven't found any that I feel like I have a competitive advantage. And some of them I've just been shocked when I looked under the hood. I've even interviewed somewhere. I'm like, oh my God, there's some crazy unethical stuff. It's still like the Wild West where you have a lot of uh, cowboys. Uh, running around, um, the only kind of picks and you know I I, I have a very small position in this below Pharmaceuticals, which is developing a, uh, a a drug to bring you down really fast from your high if you have acute cannabinoid uh, uh, intoxication, which is where you just consume too much cannabis, you start throwing up. There's a lot of bad. You're not going to die, but you're going to feel like you're dying. Um, And so I have uh, a small investment in that. I have uh, a private investment in this leading California vaping company. Um, But in terms of like equipment, I do not have any right now. And I'd be really worried about investing in anything equipment related because right now there's no capital. So if there's no capital, and I wrote about the CapEx is just disappearing. And it's going to plunge. It's it's in the process of plunging to as close to zero as possible. Because if I'm a leading cannabis company and I'm burning cash because I've been trying to grow and build out facilities, and suddenly you turn off my ability to raise capital, guess what I'm doing to CapEx? Guess what I'm doing to every expense I have? I am squeezing that as hard as possible. I think unless you have some kind of safe banking, you are going to see a total collapse in CapEx. Uh, And next year, you'll have very small amounts. Um, And I know from talking to the company and listening, like Verano just cut their, they were talking about 200 to 250 million in CapEx. Now I think they're talking about 150 million you know, a company like Air Wellness, which I also own, um, uh, has, uh you know, was spending crazy amounts of money on CapEx. They're talking about maybe $25 million next year, maybe. So I, I, I think that I would not want to, uh, uh, until I see a change in the markets or say banking, I would be very worried to invest in a Equipment or service provider, etc., to the cannabis sector. It's dark days right now. Absolutely. Because everybody's retrenching capitalized. Yep. I I mean, we
0: see, see it all on our end. I mean, a lot of this is confirming. Uh,
1: ha- yeah. Hawthorne. Yeah. Scott's miracle Grow Hawthorne division announced sales were down 73% year over year. 73. It's <laughs> a crazy number. Yeah
0: and the funny thing it's not like demand's drying up for cannabis either you know
1: no but you you you've had this massive growth massive investment cycle capex etc and and because of the the illiquid nature of capital and how fast capital came out yeah companies have no choice yeah.
0: Yeah, I was mo- I was talking about demand on the consumer side, but you know, but- oh no, the, but the demand <laughs> of the consumer
1: side has been relatively stable.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's
1: the, that's the most yeah. remarkable thing. Yeah. And so, but that that's the different. You got that's why you got to be you got to differentiate kind of the two, and also yeah. remember what at least I own. I don't know if you know, own any of these, but I own them. I know what they are. And as much as it pains me, I know they are extremely illiquid micro-cap and small-cap names. And when the tide goes out, your knees get cut off. And as much as I wanted to tell myself I'm ready for it, it still hurts when it happens. Mm -hmm. You have companies that trade hundred or 200,000 shares a day in single-digit stock prices. If someone wants to sell a million shares, they're going to drive that as low, they're, they're going to drive it to nothing.
0: I'm going to ask you, Aaron. I mean, is there any point in this process, especially since launch, launching the fund,
1: did you feel like, am I too early?
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm my pretty. God.
1: Yeah. I even wrote a piece <laughs> where I said, am I wrong or am I early? <laughs> and is there a difference? Is there? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I, in hindsight, I was early.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's indisputable. Yeah.
0: Isn't it amazing still eight years? I mean, it, it just just think, I, I use 2014 as a benchmark because that's when we really- That's super early. You
1: know, like, I really <laughs> got hot and ha- I started writing about it really in 20, uh, I think I wrote my first piece uh, uh, in the fall of 2020, but I really got super fascinated in the fall of 2021. Mm-hmm. And now I just, I'm utterly fascinated with it because no one else is really writing about or running numbers. Um, and I, I, you know, it, it's just really, fa- there just isn't, I honestly don't believe there's a lot of great research that's written about this stuff or diving into the numbers. I mean, a great example is like Glasshouse. There's not one analyst that covers it. I, I there's tell- no There's no earnings model or anyone else. I wrote this whole long report and I was just super interested if other people have run any numbers and no one's kind of running numbers here. And even the other MSOs, and I'm an investor in, in some of them, they're kind of like black boxes. I mean, Glasshouse is a little different. Uh, it, it's a relatively simple model. But if you're in like 14 or 15 states and you're doing multiple versions and you're not disclosing, it is really hard to model these. And that's both. That can be bad (laughs) because then when stuff goes wrong, you don't really know where it's coming. You really have to trust management. You really have to understand what part of the business and how things are working. But it's it's a it's a truly fascinating industry that I believe doesn't have enough eyeballs on it.
0: It goes, it, it goes through waves. It's the waves of like a lot of eyeballs and then right no, now. No, no, but even those literally... eyeballs,
1: it's a lot of retail eyeballs. Yeah. I don't see a lot of institutional oh, no, no. eyeballs or any kind of Wall Street analysts doing Dude. the work. It's you, Poseidon,
0: and uh, Arcview. I mean, I, who else? One of
1: the reasons I'm writing about some of this stuff is no one else is. Like I, I would want to read it. And one of the things that I'm most fascinated by is like you do the research and you're like, oh, interstate commerce restrictions are unconstitutional. Really, only a matter of time before that happens, that changes. Yeah. Maybe it makes sense to analyze the leading company who has the largest greenhouse in the world in the perfect environment for cannabis that's growing it at the lowest cost possible maybe it'd be interesting to run some numbers on what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Why am I the only person who's done that? It's crazy.
0: Let's talk. Why am I the only
1: person that thinks that that is worth funding? It's totally, it's so wild how capital is restricted from this industry and the smart money is not allowed to invest or run number. And it's like, It's just—it's fascinating to me. I've never seen anything like this, really. Absolutely.
0: Well, you know, by the way, you know, my very first job in in investing was—it was an internship where I was covering back in two thousand ten, the summer of two thousand ten, cannabis stocks. Um, Oh wow, that's super early. Really early. You should have. You thought that's oh my god <laughs> there was, there i was,
1: was there? i was busy i was busy buying homes
0: <laughs> yeah you were in the right space the cannabis yeah. at that time you didn't want to be there uh the names at that time some of them are still
1: around but, uh,
0: but um you know you you spent a lot of time here today i i we could probably go on for hours and just going through so many different things having to do with cannabis because I I find it personal. I mean, like I said, it was my first job. It got me so excited about microcaps in many different ways that you know I I, I love talking about it in, as much as possible. But you know, let I we got to get back to our what we got to do. But my final question for you here today, you know, what other than federal legalization? and then opening up safe banking, you know, so that all smart money and all these can connections, what else do you think it'll take for cannabis? Mar- let, let's say that's, let's actually, here, let me rephrase that. Let's say that's five years away. Or yeah. Say, let's play this mental model, it's five years away. What do you think in the interim, it'll take for cannabis markets to improve this time around?
1: That's a really good question. Uh, if we don't get safe banking by the end of the year, is going to look really dark for a lot of cannabis. Uh, 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 not a lot, but for cannabis companies because there's no capital. Um, and so I think what you'll see is a shift in 2023 to just pure, pure free cash flow. Um, and I think in a weird way, uh, the investment opportunity may be even better if you didn't have SAFE because then the proliferation of opportunities to earn, there's this kind of missing middle. And what I, one thing I've done is shift a little bit of my investment strategy, where in my fund, I now have 25% of my fund in this high yield, uh, moving up the capital structure, um, where I get paid while I wait. Because what you're highlighting is one of the principal risks is it may take five years. Um, and so in a weird way, at the end of the year, you may have a lot of distress not from the leading companies, uh, you know, um, but you may have distress, and there may be financing opportunities to participate in that. And then you may you, you know, I think we've already had the main washout, but it's always possible things can go lower. And then I think when these companies in q1 q2, when CapEx is totally turned off, and you see that these are cash machines, um, I think you'd have a return to the sector. Where I think some of these companies could 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 actually start, you know, either buying back stock or, you know, doing other things that would surprise people. Um, so that's 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 one. The second thing is, is everyone is kind of focused on that there's for some reason pretends there's like two branches of government, uh, Congress and you know the president, uh, but there's a third one, the judicial branch. And I believe it's absurd what's going on. And I think the longer that Congress does not move or act, the more you're inviting judges to basically issue and rule on cannabis. And so I think you could see uh, some, you know, one of my big things that I thought was going to happen this year is you're going to have some kind of surprise ruling on uh, interstate commerce. And we got that last week Um, in, you know, basically laying the groundwork. And so I I think that there still are you know changes afoot uh, in the industry, and then you still have the growth. So it's not just a bet on the sector, like I'm expecting Glasshouse, for example, to go from 16 million dollars in revenue in Q2 to 27 to 30 in Q3 and 40 to 50 in Q4. Because they're turning on... So each company has kind of their own catalysts um, that are important. Um, and there still are states that are moving, like where you should get Connecticut at the end of the year. Um, and you know we still don't know what New York looks like, but that's a pretty important state. Uh, and then in 2024, you're looking at... Um, you know, in 2023, you could have Pennsylvania as well, but in 2024, Florida and Virginia. And Florida could be the mother load um, because there's really only five or six companies competing in one of the fastest growing states that has forced vertical integration. Um, and so there still are state level catalysts, company specific catalysts, and then there's opportunities to invest and earn a yield while you wait. Um, And so I think that there's a lot of opportunities in this sector, primarily because there's no capital. So you can step in and help fund some of these, I think, well-deserving companies to continue to grow and and be well rewarded for the risk that you're taking. On the other side, if safe banking does happen, I don't. Think people understand what may happen. I think you'll have a game of price discovery, could be mean stock kind of related, is what happens when the trillions of dollars suddenly are trying to invest in companies that, if they're lucky, trade a million shares, a million dollars of stock a day. Wow. So there's two different things kind of going on. And I mean, I've tried to predict in the past. I don't really know what's going to happen, but it's going to be really fascinating to watch.
0: That is for sure. I will be watching right there along with you because uh, if I wasn't already before, after our interview, definitely now. So... (laughs) Aaron, with that, you know, where can my audience go and find more information about you, follow you for your insights as well as uh, Mindset Capital, you also have your your newsletter. So where can people people? Yeah, yeah.
1: So you can go, it's uh, mindsetvalue.substack.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter. It's at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, value.com. Awesome. Or I think, no, I think it's just at Aaron value, actually, just on twitter.com. Gotcha. Those are the best ways to follow me.
0: Absolutely. Look, man, if you're going to be invested in cannabis, it's a good thing that we take the Shabbat off. We need it. Yes.
1: Yes. That's right. (laughs) And as always, do your own due diligence. Of course. And just remember, I can be wrong a lot.
0: (laughs) Very good, man. Well, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I look forward to our next chat. And uh, hey, we're both California. So let's meet up. Let's meet halfway, you know, at at some point. That sounds great.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. This has been this has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you.
0: podcast. podcast.